And if we're unable to love one another, then maybe our relationship with God is not as mature as we thought it was. Maybe we still need to grow to the point where that now can summarize everything God is asking of us. Brothers and sisters, it has been a wild and crazy week, and I just want to give a special shout out to uh, some people who have just always been there for me. I want to give a shout out to my fingers. I can just, I can always count on them. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 178. If this is your first time listening, we start every episode with a dad joke, so I hope that brought a smile to your face. And if you're a first time listener, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. Uh, Otherwise, please visit our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com, and you can find all of our blog and video content there. Click the subscribe button. You can get our weekly psalm reflection emailed to you every Wednesday. And click the give button if you feel so inclined. You can become a patron of this podcast and help financially support the costs to keep it on the air uh, for as little as $1 a month. And so thank you to all of our generous patrons, all those who help with this podcast and all of you listening, thank you so much. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share this episode with your family or friends. And if you do that, especially on Instagram, make sure you tag us at Man of Food for Thought. Otherwise, let's get into our joy junk and Jesus for this week. So my joy was that our OCIA year kicked off and we had, um, our, like I've been saying, our biggest uh, class of people coming into the church, um, our biggest group of people. Uh, preparing to come into the church that we've ever had here. And so that's really awesome to see the church broke out into kind of spontaneous applause when they all came forward for dismissal on Sunday, which was really awesome. Um, My junk is that it has been very overwhelming. Um, And my junk also is, I'd be interested to hear your take on this because I feel like a lot of people feel this way. Um, Holidays during the week. My junk is kind of like the the holiday, like if I if I if I remember there's a holiday like a couple weeks in advance, I can kind of maybe do some extra work to prepare for that holiday. But when there's a Monday holiday, then like I I don't have any other day to get my Monday work done. Like my schedule's so dialed in with our like family obligations and my daughter's school schedule and my wife and I both working and coordinating like her parents watching our kids at key times, like it's like so dialed in. So anything that like throws that off, it's like, when am I going to get this done? So um, I love having that time, you know, to spend with family and friends, but I feel like I have, I I have good boundaries and I I have a good schedule every week. So maybe this is just because I'm in that kind of a privileged position to have that and many other people aren't. And so they really appreciate that break, but sometimes holidays are harder for me schedule wise and they create more problems for me than they do anything else. So, but you know, not a bad problem to have. So, um, my Jesus moment this week, um, apart from, from OCIA, well, there was one, I got an email from, you know, once our, our OCIA class came forward and they were dismissed, I got an email later that day of a guy who was, who was at mass, who's not Catholic. And who said, I saw that big group of people come forward and I knew in my heart I was supposed to be with them. And he just signed up to to do OCIA to become Catholic. I was like, that's incredible. Just from the witness of those people was amazing. So, but I also had spiritual direction this week, which I highly recommend if you don't have a spiritual director, um, someone who can walk with you and guide you in the different spiritual uh, aspects of your, your journey through life and uh, help you kind of process things and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Um, 
but uh, we talked about you know my my gifts and feeling like I have I have a lot of like creative ideas and energy, but not a lot of um, energy behind like the things that I commonly see people doing to make like their ideas known today. If that makes sense, like I'm I don't really see myself as like a business owner or like having an Etsy store or having an online presence or anything like that. That's just really not my gift or my vibe, but I have all these ideas. And um, <clears throat> my spiritual director turned me on to this kind of book or and, and quiz assessment called The Working Genius about like what are the ways that, you know, everyone has two of these six kind of geniuses in the way that they work. And it was just kind of a, a permission to recognize like this is what you're good at. And if you want to do something like a project or, you know, bring an idea to its fruition, you need these other four types of geniuses. So find them, you know, find them and, and partner with them. And I don't know, it just was really cool to kind of have that validation of like, yes, this is why I'm so frustrated because um, I have these two particular their, uh, styles of working genius, but I don't have these other four. And these other four are the ones that get that stuff out there, you know, or or, you know. Um, sell it or have that online presence or whatever it is, you know? So I don't know it was just kind of a very clarifying thing. So um, yeah, I don't know if that helps you or is a benefit to you, but I really found it awesome. So yeah, a um, lot of other great things have been going on this past week. I'd uh, love to hear what's been going on with you, but without further ado, let's get into our uh, episode. So we're, as always, looking at the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which is the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. We are still in the book of Romans, the theological treatise from Paul. It basically contains the uh, succinct theology of what it means to be Christian, writing to a multicultural, multi-ethnic community of new Christians in Rome, comprised of former uh, Jews and of Gentile Christians, trying to figure out what unites us, what is essential to believe, what can we set aside from the old way of life or previous religions, all while being in this huge epicenter of emperor worship, of pagan idolatry, of um, immoral living, and things like that. So trying to figure out how to be church in that kind of a world. So Paul is writing to the church uh, in Rome. This is what he says this week. Brothers and sisters, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no evil to the neighbor, hence love is the fulfillment of the law. The gospel, sorry, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So <clears throat> this uh, reading, it reminded me of a few things. Um, first of all, like Paul is writing this because he's dealing with a community, uh, some of which are Jewish Christians who are wondering how much of these, you know, 600 plus laws in the Old Testament that God revealed to us do we retain? And so Paul is essentially saying like all the law can be reduced to this statement, like love God and love your neighbor. And particularly here, he's talking about loving one another and love being the fulfillment of the law. And it reminds me of a story of, um, you know, there were two famous schools of, uh, rabbinic uh, knowledge or rabbinical education at the time of Jesus. And they were named for these two famous rabbis, uh, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel is more aligned kind of with the school uh, and theological thinking that, that Jesus came out of. Um, but Jesus differs, you know, from Rabbi Hillel on certain things as well. So, but Rabbi Hillel, 
he he uh, is recorded as saying this uh, statement that he could recite all of the 600 some commands of the Hebrew scriptures while standing on one leg. And then he stands on one leg and says, love one another or love your neighbor as yourself. You know, one of the laws in Leviticus. And that's it. That summarizes the entire law. <clears throat> and Jesus kind of echoes that in Matthew chapter five. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. So Jesus here is saying he's not coming to change the law, but it's clear in Jesus' ministry that he has this idea that the law can be summarized. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that multiple times in the Gospels. And so that is what everything can be reduced to. And the problem with the legalism and the scrupulosity that the Pharisees had gotten into is that they were so obsessed with abiding by the letter of the law, they forgot the spirit of the law. They forgot what the law signified and why the law was the law in the first place. The law was to separate them from the people around them and not cause them to fall into false worship and to compel them to be a society unlike any society that had ever existed. All the other societies in that time, uh, in ancient times and more primitive times, were all about doing what was needed for survival. And there was hierarchies to society. You could own other people. People were treated as property. People weren't treated in a dignified way. People were much more commonly enslaved. Uh, emperors would come and ravage entire areas with no regard for human life or dignity. And then Christianity comes along, or uh, beginning in Judaism, comes along, and these laws of God reveal this very merciful way of living where you have concern for neighbor, for the alien, the foreigner, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, uh, those people were just kind of tossed aside in the other societies at the time. And so love really was the core of the law. But when you forget that, then you start obsessing with the letter of the law. And it's the same thing can be, be true in people's spiritual lives. If you forget why we have certain rules, why we have certain um, moral requirements made of us, and you just are looking at the rules then it can seem like this very oppressive thing. But the rules, as I've said before, are not made to um, prevent us from being free. The rules keep us from being broken so we can really be free. So the rules are not meant to be broken. The rules prevent us from becoming broken. But like the rules we get growing up, the rules we get from our parents, some of them are concrete and some of them evolve. So for instance, uh, Trent Horn used this analogy in a recent podcast of his that I really liked. He said, you know, there are certain laws you have uh, when, you're, when you're young, when you're a child. One is hold my hand when you're crossing the street. And another one would be uh, don't drink anything that's under the sink. So some rules are always rules. You should never drink anything that's under the sink, no matter how old you are. But some rules are no longer necessary by the time of Jesus. They were still valid for the purpose they served even if we no longer need to obey them. So they're still true and we should still honor them. But there are certain contexts now where we don't need to abide by them, just like the rule, hold my hands when you're crossing the street. Yes, when you're a child, that applies. But as you grow older, you no longer need to cross, to cross the street while holding your parents' hands. And so the same thing is true for the Jewish people. God gave them very particular laws because they were in their infancy as a nation. They needed to be told exactly what to do, what not to do. Don't put your hand on the stove. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just like we do with children. 
But once children grow older, then we understand, okay, you can touch the stove if you're cooking. You can touch the stove if you're helping prepare dinner, but if you understand these other rules of safety, and then it gets to the core of what the rule was there for, the rule was there to protect that person out of love and out of a concern for their safety. And so that rule can evolve over time, and you teach them new rules to help them with their safety and any concern you may have now that they're preparing food in the kitchen. Now, how to use the oven, how to make sure things don't get too hot or you don't burn anything, you don't cause a fire, how to season things. You know, the law evolves, but it doesn't change. That principle of don't put your hand on the oven because it will burn you still is the same, but it's no longer the type of rule you need to be uh, enforcing because it's just inherent. You understand now there's a different way the the law or the rules are being realized because you're at a different level of understanding now, a different level of maturity. The same thing is true for the Jewish people. And why Jesus comes and and what he does is so radical, and yet he himself says, I'm not changing anything. What he's recognizing is the truth of the law remains. You needed these laws when you were a child in the faith, but now that you've grown, you need to remember and understand why the law was the way it was, and you need to bring it to a place of spiritual maturity so that it can actually be helping you now. If you're still doing these infancy baby things, Like the Pharisees essentially were making everyone do these laws like hold your parents' hand when you cross the street. That's an analogy. They weren't making people do that. But it was silly to be that scrupulous with some of these things because they were taken out of context. And now this nation of Israel had become a people that was so, it was so ingrained in them what was expected of them that holiness should have been the natural result. But when it's not, then you have to remember, okay, why is the rule the way that it is? It's to prevent me from falling into sin or idolatry or getting hurt. So let me make sure I'm doing that and not just thinking that following the rules are going to make me holy. So I say all that to say, if we have a relationship with the Lord that's really transformative, we will naturally do this. We will naturally do this. So if you struggle to love other people, recognize that might be a sign of potential weakness or vulnerability in your relationship with the Lord. Because the more we mature in our relationship with God, the more this reality of the entire law being summed up as love one another should be bearing fruit in our own life. And if we're unable to love one another, then maybe our relationship with God is not as mature as we thought it was. Maybe we still need to grow to the point where that now can summarize everything God is asking of us. You know, I always compare these things to marriage. So like in marriage, the more I love my wife, the more I will be able to see her and call her to mind in my relationships with others, especially other women. So like when I'm out in the world and I encounter other women or I see another woman, the more I love my wife, the more I'll call her to mind in those moments and I'll be aware of that covenant, that relationship I've made with her so as not to undermine that either in my own mind or my own actions or my own interactions with other women. Those people don't pose a threat to my marriage. They're a reminder of the love that I have exclusively for my wife And the type of love that I'm called to have for them as just another human being or a sister in Christ, but not someone who's exclusively my wife. So the same thing should apply to our relationship with God. The more deeply we fall in love with him, the more we will see him in others. And if we easily allow others to become sources of anger or pride or hatred or frustration, the less we will be able to see God and the more strained our relationship with him will become leading to even more of those experiences of anger, pride, hatred, and frustration. And so, if we're really taking this to heart, this idea that the entire law can be summed up in this statement, love God and love your neighbor, or in this particular passage, love one another, then that should be a litmus test 
for how mature we are in the spiritual life. And if we're doing that well, every way we love, every interaction we have will remind us of that relationship with God that overflows and is abundant, that allows us to love other, other people well, just like that analogy with being married. But if we're still very, very much infants in the spiritual life, we, we don't have the ability to love others well then we need to be reminded more so of that kind of letter of the law. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's why anger is bad. Here's why pride is bad. But eventually we hope to get to the place where every situation that we're in, every interaction we have, every relationship we have, we can recognize God in it. It's not a distraction from our relationship with God. I often hear this like, you know, I was doing really good in my relationship with God, but then this thing at work really set me off and I got really angry and frustrated, etc. And really the mentality, if we're really maturing in the spiritual life and taking this command to love one another seriously, what the response really should be is this challenging thing happened at work, but because of how much I've grown in my relationship with God, I was patient and I recognized that I have a, a, a God who has suffered for me and these small sufferings that I can uh, am enduring or I've being um, that are coming before me in my life, whatever it is, um, those things are drawing me near or have the capacity to draw me near to the Lord. And so I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get prideful. I'm not going to get frustrated or bitter or upset because I recognize this is part of life. And I can choose to respond negatively or I can choose to respond gratefully and graciously and see it as an opportunity to grow in my relationship with God. So the law to love one another is a natural fruit of loving God. It is a litmus test for our prayer life. I used to say this a lot. I would tell people, uh, tell me about your prayer life and I'll tell you how much peace you have. Because one naturally flows to the other. And that doesn't mean everything in your life will suddenly be great when you start praying. But what it does mean is you're developing the disposition to see God in all things and invite his peace into all things, no matter what the circumstances of your life may be. And all of that is rooted in this idea of loving our neighbor, because loving our neighbor flows from the love that we have for God and the love that God has for us. So thinking about that, thinking about the fact that how well can you love other people? How well do you love other people? Or putting it this way, how challenging is it for you to love certain people in your life? And that may be an indicator of weakness or vulnerability in your relationship with the Lord. What does that arise in you or challenge you to do in your prayer life? Who does this, who does this challenge you to love better? Do you think they feel the same way about you when you get frustrated or angry about them? Angry at the things that they're doing? I think oftentimes the people we have that kind of animosity toward, they actually have similar conceptions about us and have those similar feelings toward us. And we may think, wow, that's totally undeserved. What did I do? But there's just a disparity in the way that we communicate and relate to each other. We're both giving each other um, opportunities or miscommunicating in such a way that it's giving each other opportunities to see each other in a negative light. So if you begin thinking about everyone that frustrates you or that you have an issue with, thinking, well, maybe they have the same with me. How can I make that easier for, him, for them? How can I communicate better with them? How can I pray with and for them? Can I fast for them? Can I offer up my suffering for them? Because God wants them in heaven and you should too. And that, brothers and sisters, is the challenge of loving one another. These Old Testament laws, we can get caught up in the scrupulosity of the rules and think like faith is just about believing a certain set of things 
and doing the things that God has asked me to do. And we'll fall into scrupulosity, we'll fall into patterns of behavior, we'll think that faith is about checking boxes and not about a vibrant relationship. Or we can take the words of the second reading to heart. To love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so if we love God, and we allow the love of God for us to flow through us, we will naturally love our neighbor. And if that's not happening, that is an indicator that there is some kind of obstacle between me and my relationship with the Lord. Maybe I'm not trusting. Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm not at peace because I don't understand what God is doing in my life, or I can't trust him with this particular thing, or I have some kind of sin or struggle blocking that relationship with God and the grace he's trying to pour into my life. So whatever that reveals to you, I think that's a good litmus test. Look around in the people and relationships and the interactions you have in your life on a daily or weekly basis. Is it a challenge for you to love all of those people? And if it is, how does that reveal some of the vulnerabilities and weaknesses that you may have in your relationship with God? How do you need to grow deeper in prayer? Because if you tell me about your prayer life, I can tell you how much peace you have. And if you don't have peace, it probably means your prayer life is not sufficient. You're not connecting with the Lord enough to be able to not just see him in that moment of prayer, but carry him into every second of the rest of your day and recognize him already present in every second of the rest of your day. God is there in those who frustrate you. Maybe those people look at you and they see the same frustrations. How can we begin to ascend above the letter of the law and really get to the root and the heart of the law, which is to love? to be set apart from the ways of the world, to not be selfish, but to live for others and to live in this law of compassionate mercy that was unheard of before the time of God revealing himself to the Jewish people. How does that bear fruit and how does that take root in your own life? You are the law because you can have the capacity to be the love of God for other people. God is the law. His love is is the law. God is love, and you were made in the image and likeness of that God who is love. So you are made in the image and likeness of love. And if love is the law, you're made in the image and likeness of the law. That doesn't mean that we can be legalistic and black and white, and you're either in or out, it's all good or evil. No, we live in the gray area, and we allow the love of God to flow through us into those spaces, and we recognize him everywhere we go. And so if that's a challenge for you, brothers and sisters, then maybe that's an indicator that our relationship with God needs to deepen. We need to trust him more. We need to be more fervent in our prayer so that his presence and his peace can flow into all of those places, especially the relationships and situations that we find most challenging. That's all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.